Wow, what a church. I think Alfred Kinsey just rolled over in his grave. <laughs> it's like, oh, I wasn't ready for the people of God in Indiana. Man, oh man. Well, if only uh, we had this church and that kind of passion when Alfred Kinsey was destroying this state and sexualizing young children. If you don't know who Alfred Kinsey is, by the way, go listen to my podcast. We don't have time to dive into all of that, but he's been called the father of the sexual revolution who founded the Institute for Sex Research at Indiana University, now called the Kinsey Institute, which was founded with seed money by Hugh Hefner and a new statue to Kinsey was just erected last fall at Indiana University in your state. So that's just a little primer on that. Now, who am I? Why the heck should you listen to me? Uh, well, I've been a pro-life activist since I was a fetus. I've been um, f- fighting abortion a really long time. Um, and I, I actually, I only say that half-joking, church, because you see, my mother was the uh, executive director of a pregnancy resource center. Who knows what pregnancy resource centers are? Good, good. Uh, Pastor Ron, that wasn't enough hands. I, uh, okay, so a Pregnancy Resource Center are these nonprofit, uh, wonderful ministries that provide almost all of the ministries and care and resources to women facing unplanned pregnancies that Planned Parenthood does, minus the baby butchery part. Um, so they provide all the non-controversial services and care. They charge for hardly anything. Most of them are underfunded and understaffed. And yet Pregnancy Resource Centers outnumber abortion clinics in this country more than two to one. There's roughly 3,000, 3,000 pregnancy resource centers in America, while there's only about 750 abortion centers in America. Um, and, and yet, most people don't even know what pregnancy resource centers are. And you have one or two in this area. They're spread all across Indiana, all across these wonderful states in this land of the free, home of the brave, I think it still is. And my mother was directing one of those centers in the late 1980s, early 1990s in Los Angeles County, like right down the street from Azusa Pacific University, or APU. And so uh, I've been told by the culture of death, right, my body, my choice. Who's ever heard that phrase before? It's kind of like the central phrase that undergirds the entire culture of death and pro-abortion movement today. And they apply it to more than just abortion, by the way, don't they, right? Well, if I want to chop off my genitalia because inwardly I think I'm a little girl, my body, my choice. This this phrase really undergirds the entire culture of death today. But notice they never say our bodies, my choice. Because you have to ignore and filter out of sight any recognition of a separate human being bearing injuries that are lethal. So if it's her body and her choice, then that means that there's how many bodies involved? Well, if that's true, if my body, my choice is true, then there's just one body involved. So, according to the law of transitive properties, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. So, if that's true, all the parts of my prenatal unborn self were not part of me because there's only her body, her choice. So all parts of my body were actually part of my mother's body because there's only one body. So every baby my mother saved while directing a pregnancy resource center, I saved. Follow the science, science. Isn't it funny that the people who tell you follow the science, like for the last three years, for the most part, they tend to be pro-abortion and think that men can be women and women can be men. It's like, I don't think that's very science-y, if, if you ask me. And the science, it's like always changes every six to nine months. It's just really fascinating. I think last week, more genders got added to the list of 140, or is it 143 right now? Isn't that fast? Science is a fascinating thing. I, I feel like the princess bride sometimes. Like, I don't think that word means what you think it means, right? <laughs> Amen. What a great movie, by the way, right? So yeah, so see, I've been sassy since conception. I've been a pro-life activist since I was a fetus. 
uh, and you haven't seen me sassy yet. And then I was homeschooled through eighth grade, right, amen, and then I went to public high school, and uh, I went to Nixon's alma mater, Whittier High School in Los Angeles County, before, like, that was back when you could, like, walk out on the streets of L.A. without stepping in, like, needles and poop. Um, That was back when L.A. was a lot better. And um, I told my high school, my senior year, I said, I'm going to do my senior project on abortion. And they said, oh, sorry, we don't let people pick that topic. This is a public high school, right? State funded, right? And, uh, And I'm only embellishing a little bit. I said, here's a copy of the Constitution you're making me read in government class. I recommend you read it or you're going to have a lawsuit on your hands. So I threatened a lawsuit to Whittier High School in Los Angeles County at 18 years old. And they were like, oh, gosh. And then they're like, oh, he was homeschooled. (laughs) Oh, yeah, baby. I had to memorize those founding documents. My mom made me memorize the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence at eight years old. Right? I was like, I know my rights. Right? So um, anyways. And uh, so then I did my senior project on abortion. And I had to do volunteer hours in order to graduate. Like, you, you all had to do this project. And you all had to do a speech and everything to graduate. And so I did it at a pro-life ministry, and the first thing they had me do, church, was to scan 300 images of first trimester mutilated aborted babies uh, between six weeks old and 12 weeks old, all first trimester. Now, I was told by the culture of death that it's a blob of tissue. It is pregnancy tissue. And I am looking for two days straight at the limbs and body parts of aborted children at seven seven weeks, eight weeks, when the earliest abortions tend to happen, the detailed noses and faces and eyeballs and mouth and facial expressions and hands and feet and arms. Now, some people think that's inappropriate, but Ephesians 5.11 says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Abortion, it could be said, might be the most hidden injustice in world history. Because unlike the slaves whose injustices we saw with our eyes, unlike the Jews whose ashes were falling on the steeples of local churches in Nazi Germany, the preborn child has a silent scream and they're ushered behind sterile clinic doors with bright lights by doctors who call themselves healthcare providers. And they're in our communities, and we drive by, and we walk by on the other side of the road, and it's been happening for over 50 years in America. And yet, God still intervenes in the affairs of men. So June 24th, 2022 happened, brothers and sisters, and the high places of Moloch started to crumble and collapse in on themselves, and Roe v. Wade got overturned and sent into the ash heap of history. Nearly 50 years, which means that maybe 50% of this congregation wasn't even alive when Roe v. Wade came down. In fact, if you're under 40, you were probably raised being told by the culture, this is settled law, constitutionally decided. It's never going away. Get used to it. Of all the issues, that was the one we were told was settled law. Don't you know it's health care? Don't you know it's a woman's right? Women can't be free if they don't have abortion. This was the rallying cry. This was the arguments of the sexual revolution, that for women to have true equality... They had to have the right to kill their babies because, you see, they have these pesky things called uteruses. 
And if they get pregnant, that prevents them from climbing up the corporate ladder and being as successful as men. So they can't be equal unless they have the right to kill their babies. Guys, I study this stuff. These were the arguments that were made in the sexual revolution. <laughs> of all the victories, we could have won. During an administration that has never been more bloodthirsty for the lives of the preborn, to win that victory in the midst of a scamdemic where if you were part of BLM or Antifa, you could burn down cities. You could actually burn them down. And everyone was fine with it. But if you wanted to meet in your church at 50% capacity to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you were called a granny killer and a super spreader. Because don't you know, COVID is really dangerous. Unless you're in BLM burning down cities. Then it's not infectious and everyone's fine with it. Church, are you starting to recognize that the culture war, it was just a proxy war for a deeper, deeper spiritual war. The enemy of our souls has masqueraded his demonic assault against these babies, the blood-bought bride of Christ, and the family under the veneer of follow the science and just the politics to keep the politically impotent pastor silent, which is why I'm so grateful for Pastor Ron and the team here who understand that they've been called to be Ezekiel Watchmen who are on the wall. Do you know what I'm referring to? Ezekiel 36, if the watchman sees the sword of the enemy coming and he does not blow the trumpet, so the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any from among them, they are taken away in their iniquity but their blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Because you knew and you didn't warn. You saw the sword of the enemy coming and you refused to blow the trumpet. Their blood I will require at your hand, watchman. Well, the swords of the enemy today are suction machines, forceps, poison pills, genital mutilation, critical race theory, kooky pornographic sex ed in the schools that traces right back to Alfred Kinsey that brought all the mama bears and papa bears to speak at school board meetings in the last two years? Who remembers that? It was, it was like a nationwide tea party level grassroots movement happening all around the country. Who remembers this? I had never seen anything like that before. Lines in the hundreds. No, no, there was not enough room for the lines, for the parents waiting to speak at school board meetings because they started recognizing during the shutdowns when there was Zoom learning, parents started listening to what was being taught and they went, what the heck? So they started showing up at school board meetings, being mama bears and papa bears, saying you better get this curriculum out of the schools. And then what happens? Attorney General Merrick Garland, an unelected, an unaccountable official, says, I'm opening up an investigation into domestic terrorist activity at school board meetings. Wait, but Mary Garland, it was mostly peaceful. Ah, yeah? Are you starting to sense that it's not hypocrisy, it's hierarchy? Of course they're hypocritical, but they don't care because they have their hands on the reins of political power. But I'm here this morning, brothers and sisters, my dear friends, to tell you that of all the issues that causes these 
high priests of humanism to collapse in on themselves like a dying star. Of all the issues that they start to lose their mind on if you dare threaten their power is the sacrifice of babies. And that's why when Roe v. Wade got overturned, the coverage, the mainstream media headlines were very interesting. I don't know if you guys paid attention to this. It's very interesting. Their headlines following the overturning of Roe v. Wade were things like this. Now the GOP is coming for all of your rights. It was like, wait, do you see what they were saying with that kind of coverage? Think about it, church. They're saying, now that a federal abortion law is overturned, now that the federal right to kill babies is overturned, now all of the other things that we call rights are starting to be compromised. Oh, it's almost as if they admitted to us what the pro-life movement has been saying for decades, that the liberal establishment is literally built on the mutilated bodies of 65 million aborted children killed since 1973. And then the coverage was this, ready? Now the Republicans are coming for interracial marriage. I don't know if you guys remember the activist media saying this one, and I was like, huh? Wait, because we said you can't kill babies at the federal level, but it goes back to the states, now we don't want black people to marry white people, huh? And I remember seeing this on CNN, and I was like, Don Lemon, I mean, I know you're like not great, but like, I'm really confused right now. And you know, Clarence Thomas <laughs> is sitting on the Supreme Court going, <laughs> Clarence Thomas, brothers and sisters, is married to a white woman. Her name is Jenny. She's very pro-life. Clarence Thomas is black. He's probably the most pro-life conservative Supreme Court justice we have. So is Clarence Thomas coming for his own marriage? He probably hates his wife. He's probably trying to destroy his own marriage. Or they just say whatever they can say in order to hit pro-life Christians over the head with a cudgel to keep you silent. So then, Merrick Garland starts sending his brown shirts, brother, to arrest pro-life sidewalk counselors, those brave men and women who stand outside of abortion centers peaceably praying and pleading with parents to choose life and promising them the help and support of the local church. He started arresting pro-life sidewalk counselors, and they were trying to argue that they were bracing the face violations, the freedom of access to clinic entrances, except all those people were returned home within hours. It was the Leviathan flexing its tentacles to send a post-Roe v. Wade message to the pro-life movement to say, you better remember your place. And yet, God still intervenes in the affairs of men. June 24th, 2022, the day Roe v. Wade got overturned, brothers and sisters, in the church calendar was the nativity of St. John the Baptist. Now, for those of you who are like, wait, wait, huh, huh, what? Listen, we got to give it to our Catholic friends. They follow the church calendar a lot better. A lot of Protestants, we don't even follow the church calendar. We don't even celebrate the Christian festivals. Like, we really should. Anyways, I digress. The Nativity of St. John the Baptist, guys, is when the church celebrates Mary visiting her cousin Elizabeth, and when she does, the prenatal John the Baptist starts doing backflips in the uterus because he recognizes the humanity and divinity of his prenatal savior creator, who is also a fetus at that moment, because 
Jesus, as the second member of the Trinity, is not fully God and fully human from the moment of birth. He's fully God and fully human from the moment of conception. So that is God in the womb. And because God knits life together in the womb, that's God knitting the premier of John the Baptist together in the womb while he knits himself together in the womb, while they're in the same room, while he knits himself together in the womb of a woman whose uterus he once knit together when he knit together Mary in the womb of Mary's mother. That's called, um, oh, Christianity. That's right. That's called the incarnation. Yeah, that's called when your, your savior, your creator, who breathes out the stars and laughs out animals, breathes out the Milky Way, breathes life into you, chooses to identify with you from your most vulnerable stage, the prenatal stage, and takes on fetal flesh to become the most vulnerable human being there was. Don't tell me God's not pro-life. Don't tell me that Jesus would be a part of this culture of death for voting for the party who just three months ago in January struck down and vetoed a bill called the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. Church, the bill, you want to know how simple and common sense this bill was? It simply said if a baby survives a botched failed abortion, and is born. And by the way, I'm an honorary board member of an organization called the Abortion Survivors Network. And my friend Melissa Odin finds adults who, as babies, survived the abortion attempt on their life and were born alive in the process of the failed abortion. Now, I want you to think about what that's like as a 30 or 40 year old, and you find out from your adoptive parents sometimes that your birth parents tr tried to kill you, but, but it failed and then you were born alive, and then you were adopted out. And then you live in a country and under an administration that celebrates the very act that nearly took your life. And my friend Melissa Odin is obviously a woman, and she's told by this culture of death as a woman that she has a right to abortion, but she didn't have the right to live. I want you to think about that for a second. And then think about a bill that simply says, for those babies, who are born alive in the process of a failed abortion. They have to be given the same level of medical attention and care as any other baby would receive. They have to be transferred to a hospital because guess what, abortion centers, they're not that great at preserving life, shocker. They have to be, you have to care for that baby. And if the abortionist or the staff at that abortion clinic do not report the fact that a baby survived and is born alive during a botched abortion procedure, they'll be held criminally liable. And if they kill that baby after it was born, which I'm here this morning to tell you happens in America, that they're going to be charged for murder. Guys, that's all the bill said. Don't you think pro-choicers should support that? Because it's not even about the baby in the womb anymore. It's about the baby outside the womb. Do you want to know how many um, Democrats in the House of Representatives voted in support of that bill? One. Don't tell me Jesus is not pro-life. Don't tell me he wouldn't be voting to protect the pre-born. Let me prove it to you, by the way. So remember prenatal John the Baptist doing backflips in the uterus? Remember that story? Okay. So in the Greek, when it says, the baby leaped in Elizabeth's womb, the Greek word for baby is berephos. B-R-E-P-H-O-S. That's the Greek word, okay? Berephos, baby. The baby leaped. You turn to Luke 2, church, and it says, 
Mary laid baby Jesus in the manger. So now, is this a, is this a fetus? No, it's an infant. Jesus already born. So she's laying him in the manger. The Greek word used to say Mary laid baby, baby, baby Jesus in the manger. Berephos, same Greek word. Oh, Seth, are you telling me our father uses the same word to refer to a baby in the womb as he does a baby outside the womb? Oh, for pastors and Christians who would also see no distinction in value, dignity, and a right to life between the baby in the womb and the baby outside the womb. Brothers and sisters, there ain't no fetus fairy. There's no fetus fairy that flies up and just sprinkles magical personhood conferring fairy dust. And so when it's born, it imbibes the fairy dust that confers personhood. And that's when it has a right to life. Follow the science. Well, no, no, that doesn't really make any sense. Obviously, the birth canal does not confer personhood. The birth canal does not confer a right to life. If it's wrong to kill the baby at the moment of birth, it's wrong to kill the baby in the womb. There's no line or distinction or magical process that happens wherein before the 15th week, you're an insensate blob of uh, non-person tissue, or to quote the Nazis, Untermensch. Oh, right, Untermensch, which means subhuman and was the word used to refer to the Jews. By the way, I did about two hours on this yesterday, right, Pastor Ron? But let me do like a 45-second uh, condensation of my two hours yesterday. Untermensch is the title of Heinrich Himmler's famous Nazi propaganda book. Margaret Sanger, the, boor, the founder of Planned Parenthood, when she founded it, it was called the American Birth Control League. It was later changed the name to Planned Parenthood. Margaret Sanger's, one of her first board members was a man named Lothrop Stoddard. Are you ready for something that'll rip your face off, church? Lothrop Stoddard was a high official of the Massachusetts Ku Klux Klan. The KKK. He was a high official of the KKK while a board member for Planned Parenthood and their founder, Margaret Sanger. Lothrop Stoddard wrote a book. I'm about to connect it. Ready? I'm going to blow your mind. Lothrop Stoddard wrote a book called The Rising Tide of Color Against White World Supremacy. He wrote another book called The Menace of the Underman. Oh, The Menace of the Underman. Who's the Underman? Uh, blacks, Jews, Slavs, Italians, and those with mental and physical deformities. Now, Adolf Hitler's chief racial theorist, Alfred Rosenberg, appropriates the German term Untermensch from the English version of Lothrop Stoddard's book. In other words, underman, those like defined as unfit to live and undesirables, the under, who's the, no, the menace of the underman was the title of his book. Underman was translated into German by the Nazis to Untermensch, which also means subhuman and was how they referred to the Jews and was the title of the Nazis' famous propaganda book, the title, Untermensch, by Heinrich Himmler. Yeah, I just told you that the Nazis got the subhuman from the English version of Planned Parenthood's board member's book. But we're told the same thing about the preborn today, aren't we? Subhuman, unwanted, potential, person, blob of tissue. There's no such thing as a potential human being. There are only actual human beings with great potential. And you began at the moment of conception. 
So that's pretty crazy, huh? The day Roe v. Wade gets overturned is the day that Christians celebrate two fetuses in a womb recognizing one another's humanity. Of all the 365 days that the death sentence of preborn children could have gotten overturned, it got overturned on the day that we celebrate fetuses. <laughs> oh, Seth, that's just a coinkadink. I'm sure that that was just a coincidence. Or God still intervenes in the affairs of men. Oh, and then there was a planetary alignment. Now, before you tell Pastor Ron, get this guy off the pulpit. He's telling us to read the stars. Uh, no, I'm not saying read the stars. I believe what our Savior said. It is a wicked generation that seeks for signs and wonders. But as one Catholic priest, George Rutler, says, it's a stupid generation that ignores signs and wonders. So you don't have to seek for them, but when they slap you in the face, just give credit to Providence. You know they say that Providence is when God winks. Like, I'm still here. Right? So within hours of Roe v. Wade getting overturned, on the morning of June 24th, that's, that evening, on June 24th, last year, 2022, there's a freaking planetary alignment in the night sky. Five planets lined up visible to stargazers by the naked eye. Uh, it, was, uh, it was Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Mercury, and Venus. Such a planetary alignment is very rare. I think the last one was like 2000 or 2002 or something like that. So, this photo goes viral all across the interwebs. And it was this beautiful photo by an astrophotographer, people who take pictures of space, because you could see all five planets in one photo lined up. It was beautiful. You ready for this? The name of the photographer was Wright Dobbs. Oh, come on. The Supreme Court case that overturned Roe v. Wade, but hours earlier, was entitled Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, D-O-B-B-S. The photographer's name, who takes a picture of a planetary alignment that goes viral all across the world. His last name is Dobbs, spelled the same, D-O-B-B-S. <coughs> but his first name was right, like they were right, in the ruling of Dobbs, but seven hours earlier today. Jeez, thank you. Gosh, man. That's crazy, right? I'm sure it was a coinkadink. <laughs> Something is going on in space and time. Winston Churchill, the man who saved Western civilization, said something in 1942. And I think it bears repeating today. Because, brothers and sisters, we're living in a Kairos moment. Do you know what a Kairos moment is? It ain't Kronos, right, chronological. It ain't Kronos. It's not like service started at 830. No, 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 no. Kairos is like, Pastor Ron knows what time it is, baby, right? That's a quality of time. We're living in another Kairos moment. You know not all moments in history are created equal, right? Do you know this? If I tell you 1940 Germany, what are you thinking of? Who said the Holocaust? You narrow-minded, single-issue voting Republican bigot. Why did you think of the Holocaust? You know, women were being rounded up in sex trafficking at the time, too. Why didn't you think of their rights? Why did you think of the Jews? And you would say, well, Seth, that's kind of, you're kind of weird. Um, see, because while many issues are important, they don't all carry the same moral and spiritual weight. If I tell you 1854 America, what are you thinking of? 
So who said slavery? Another single-issue voting, narrow-minded Republican bigot. You know, women didn't have equal voting rights then. Why did you think of the black man and not the woman? Again, that awesome sister over there would say, well, Seth, because while many issues are important, they don't all carry the same moral weight. Some moments and issues matter more. We're living in another one of those moments. But people usually don't recognize the kairos nature of the moments they're living in. It's usually our grandchildren who look back and go, why didn't my grandfather do more? Why didn't he live harder? Why didn't he speak the truth? It takes an Ezekiel watchman and a son of Issachar to understand the times and know the Kairos moment we're living in, church. So what Churchill said then, I must repeat to you now, the destiny of mankind is not decided by material computation. When great forces are on the move in the world, <clears throat> stirring all men's souls, drawing them from their firesides to cast aside wealth, comfort, and the pursuit of happiness in response to impulses at once awe-striking and irresistible. We learned that we're spirits and not animals. And something is going on in space and time and beyond space and time, which whether you like it or not, spells duty. Oh. Churchill recognized more than most pastors in Germany that something was going on. And did you know, to our knowledge and research, we're not sure if Winston Churchill was a born-again believer. Some think so, some think not. We're not sure if he actually repented. And yet he was saying something's going on in space and time and beyond space and time. But there's only one who dwells beyond space and time, he who created it and breathed out the Milky Way and knit you together in your mother's womb. And the lion of the tribe of Judah is on the move once again. And that spells duty for the Christian, not to sit in our armchairs and our comfortable Netflix and chill lifestyles while we tithe 10% and say, Jesus loves you and let the culture burn down around you because you won't get off the bench, get on of the battlefield to contend for what your father cares about. We have been doing what my pastor Rob McCoy, my dear pastor Rob McCoy, the co-founder of Turning Point USA Faith with my friend Charlie Kirk, says about the church that the church waits downstream to pick up human heartache that they helped create through their political apathy upstream. This is how Bonhoeffer put it. He said, if I sit next to a madman as he drives a car into a group of innocent bystanders, I can't, as a Christian, simply wait for the catastrophe to happen. Then comfort the wounded and bury the dead. I must try to wrestle the steering wheel out of the hands of the driver. Brothers and sisters, the way you do that in America when we the people are the sovereign is through a word called politics. Oh, but Seth, politics is a dirty business. The, the church is supposed to be the blood-bought pure bride of Christ. Why do you want us to engage in politics? You're, you're telling us to make an idol out of politics and make an idol out of power, and then we're going to harm our Christian witness if people learn we voted for Trump because we wanted to protect the preborn. Why are you telling us to do that? We should just love people and tell them that God wants them to repent and, and find eternal life, but not tell them who to vote for because that's wicked and evil. And yet none of us believe that if we were living in 1850 America. 
every one of us believes we would have been voting for the Republican Party called the Grand Old Party, which was founded with the explicit goal of abolishing slavery. We all believe we would have been voting to protect the slave in 1850. And yet so many churches and Christians today say, I'm just going to abdicate. I'm not going to vote at all. Because it's such a dirty business. It's so full of sinners. Yes, yeah, so is the church. But that doesn't mean you abdicate the Great Commission and discipleship because it's a dirty business. Something's going on. I've spoken in more pulpits on the issue of pro-life in the last two years than I have in all 11 years of my pro-life speaking career. And I've spoken in more pulpits on the issue of pro-life as an awakening of pastors is happening in America than any pro-life speaker I know in the entire world. Now, I'm not tooting my horn. I'm saying something's going on. There's an awakening and a stirring and an excitement for righteousness again. So we're not kicking the can down the road for the pre-born if they're not aborted to deal with, if they're not having their genitalia cut off and pumped full of cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers for to let them deal with the issues. This is not about us. We're not selfishly demanding our rights. I'm not saying get involved because, oh, I want you to protect your own rights. Go, go engage in politics so you can make sure that you can keep your gun rights. No, it's not about us. It's about future generations and those who cannot fight for themselves. Or to quote Bonhoeffer, the question for a responsible man to ask is not how he is to extricate himself heroically from the affair, but how the coming generation shall continue to live. So brothers and sisters, the battle we're facing, it's been faced before by people who have come before us. Sure, it's the pre-born today, but it used to be the Jews. It used to be the black man. It used to be Slavs, Italians. Don't you know the history of genocide? Those governments have always defined their victim classes as non-persons. What did Dred Scott v. Sanford say? The black man was not a person. What did the Heathgerich, the German Supreme Court, say? The Jew is not a person. What did 1973 Roe v. Wade say? The term person as used in the Constitution does not include the preborn. So do you see it's just always a new iteration in the history of eugenics and dehumanization? And we're now living through that next iteration where you're being defined as undesirables, as domestic terrorists, as they said after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, the greatest and most extreme threat to freedom and democracy. What? Just because I want to protect the preborn? Yes. None of this battle is new. So let me finish with a short story of some people who have gone before us and stood in a time like today, in a Kairos moment, so we can repeat their example or avoid their mistakes. In 1942, a young woman named Sophie Scholl was walking the sidewalks of Munich, Germany. 1942, folks. So the Jews have been wearing the yellow star for two and a half or three years, and their ashes are already falling on the steeples of local churches whose pastors say, I love Jesus and preach the gospel, but will do nothing to protect the Jews. She finds this paper on the sidewalk in Munich, and she picks it up, and it says, Leaflets of the White Rose. And she starts to read this, and her heart is spurred to action. She, would, she loved the Lord. Sophie had a deep and abiding faith. She was 21 years old. Her father had spent some time in prison for publicly criticizing Hitler. So she came from good stock. 
like me, <laughs> right? Homeschool. And so she starts reading this leaflet, and it says, we are the white rose resistance, we are your bad conscience, and we will not leave you alone. They said things like, if you know, why do you not act? What does James say? For he who knows the right thing to do but fails to do it, for him it is sin. So Sophie wants to join the White Rose Resistance. We have letters between her and her family and her and her boyfriend. She was horrified at what was happening to the Jews, the deterioration of freedoms and liberties, the, par the targeting of political dissidents. Well, come to find out, the White Rose Resistance had not only been co-founded, it was being run by none other than her older brother, Hans! With the hat, who at 24 years old was just trying to protect his little sister. Don't you know how dangerous political resistance was in 1942 in the Third Reich? We're not joking around, church. He didn't want his sister to be harmed or killed. But she becomes the youngest and the only female member of the White Rose Resistance. And for the rest of 1942, they stay up all night writing, printing, and distributing anti-Nazi leaflets all around Germany. It was a social media campaign pre-digital age to prick the collective conscience of the culture and awaken the church to action. And they would take trains in the middle of the night to major German cities and distribute these leaflets all around Germany to say, wake up, do you not see what's happening? What will you do? And in 1943, they took things to the next level. And on February 18th, 1943, so what, 80 years ago, two months ago, on February 18th, 1943, Hans and Sophie, brother and sister, walk into the campus at the University of Munich, which you can visit today. And during class time, when the halls were quiet, they started dropping off piles of their illegal leaflets all around the university. And then in this iconic scene, Sophie walks to the third floor balcony, and she throws an entire stack of leaflets down to the atrium below. Well, what happens when you throw paper? It goes everywhere. That was the point. The janitor, a committed Nazi, catches Sophie in the act, calls the Gestapo on the spot, and they're arrested on February 18th, 1943. And those are their actual mugshots taken that day. 21 and 24. Because they were arrested that afternoon, they missed a meeting they had in Munich that same day. A meeting with a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the founder of the Confessing Church in Germany, who tried to awaken pastors to stand against Hitler and was hung naked at Flossenburg Prison on April 9th, 1935 for his failed assassination attempt to kill Hitler. They never made that meeting. For the next four days, they were brutally interrogated and physically abused, and they refused to implicate any of their other friends or members of the White Rose Resistance. So listen, as we close out our time together this morning, I just want to tell you how Sophie saw the battle they were in, because she is speaking prophetically to you today, church, to understand that evil people do evil things. Stop being surprised by it and stop complaining about it. That's the history of the world. That's the history of human nature. That's the history of sin. That's the history of humanism, the most deadly religion our world has ever seen. Start looking in the mirror and asking yourself, what are we doing? Well, here's a 21-year-old. She's asking the question in prison, in her four days in prison, how did we get here? And who is to blame? 
And here's what she said. The real damage is caused by all of those millions out there who just want to survive. The honest men and women who just want to be left in peace. Those who don't want their little lives disturbed by anything bigger than themselves. Those with no sides and no causes. Those who won't take measure of their own strength. Do we have strength, church? But they don't take measure of their own strength for fear of antagonizing their own weaknesses. Those who don't like to make waves or enemies. Those for whom freedom, honor, truth, and principle, it's just literature. Those who live small, die small. It's the reductionistic approach to life. Because if you keep it small, you'll keep it under control. If you don't make any noise, the boogeyman won't find you. Department of Homeland Security, FBI. But it's all an illusion because they, they die too. Those people who roll up their spirits into tiny little balls so as to be safe, safe from what? Life is always on the edge of death. Narrow streets lead to the same place as wide avenues. And a little candle burns itself out just like the flaming torch does. I choose my own way to burn. Okay, we need to ask a question. Who talks like that at 21? A young woman with the lion of the tribe of Judah roaring inside of her to say, wake up, get onto the battlefield for your king. Stop blaming the doers of evil and recognize what Ronald Reagan famously said. Evil is powerless if the good are unafraid. Well, they would be taken to the guillotine on February 22nd, 1943 and have their heads chopped off. And Sophie's final words were, the sun still shines. And Hans's final words were simply, freedom, freedom. So brothers and sisters, I'm here this morning to tell you we are on a nationwide tour for my organization, the White Rose Resistance. I am rebuilding the White Rose Resistance for this generation against our silent but far more deadly holocaust of abortion to build the army of Christian resistance against the culture of death that Hans and Sophie dreamed of but never saw realized to bring an end to our holocaust of abortion today before it's too late. Brothers and sisters, my pastor Rob McCoy calls me the Charlie Kirk of the pro-life movement. I'm not bragging, I'm telling you that I'm a pain in the rear, a stick in the eye, and a fly in the ointment to the abortion industrial complex, the culture of death, and dare I say, the spirit of the age, and his obsession with wiping out the image of God from the earth because you remind the enemy of our souls that he has a day coming. His days are numbered. He will be thrown into the lake of fire, and the blood-bought bride of Christ always wins in the end. You've read the end of the Book. It's time for the church to wake up, find our place on the wall, and give God a reason to show America mercy. This is your moment. This is our moment to rebuild Christian resistance before it's too late so you can look your king in the eye one day when you hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And you can hopefully quote the words of William Wilberforce, that great British abolitionist, by saying, let it not be said of me, Lord, that I was silent 
when they needed me. If you want to help me rebuild the White Rose Resistance, scan the QR code. We're asking the church to consider $35 a month as your family. That helps us be a pain in the rear, stick in the eye, and a fly in the ointment. And we're building a team the likes of which you've never seen before in the pro-life movement to mobilize, equip, and get the church into the public square to tear down the high places of child sacrifice. If you join at $35 a month today, I'll give you a hug and a White Rose to remind yourself you're part of the White Rose Resistance. Thank you.